as we were going to the end of the quarter, Chris was telling his story, and the lights were going dark. It's not the first time ever somebody's turned the lights out when I was telling a story. <laughs> Got to blame Aaron. It's we oh, have our we're out in a darkness yeah, retreat. You know, we're all in it together now. That's good. A little excitement last night at the Hall of Fame game. The lights went out in the second half. They were out for about 10 minutes. They found the switch. They turned them back on. The lights are on here. They have not gone out yet this week. That We've been in Canton, close to Canton, Cuyahoga Falls. This is day three of our visit here and our final show from Ohio, not far from where my co-host for the first hour grew up in Cleveland. Cleveland Heights, to be specific, Miles Simmons. Are you oh, impressed no. that I remember you're from Cleveland Heights? I, I am actually not Heights? impressed because I'm not from Cleveland Heights. The Kelsey brothers are from oh, Cleveland Heights. Oh, I thought Heights. you were. I am from. Right. I thought I that was your affinity uh, for them be, be, because they're uh, from Cleveland Heights. Why do you care uh, that they're from Cleveland Heights? Because I am from the adjacent you just say Shaker Cleveland? Heights. Well, okay. <laughs> this is a whole thing. I mean, I do say Cleveland. Now, when I do that, one of my very good friends gets offended because she actually grew up within the city limits of Cleveland, but I did not. I grew up in the adjacent Shaker Heights. But if you grow up in Shaker Heights, Cleveland Heights, University Heights, you know, all the Heights places, you basically just say you're from Cleveland and that's just where you are. And then people ask where in Cleveland and then you say X. Like, like, it's just like how I live in L.A. now, right? I say I live in L.A. People say, where do you live in L.A.? And I say Santa Monica. And then that's the whole thing. But, you know, you you remember the Cleveland Heights thing because, yeah, I, I grew up there. And when I took piano lessons, it was down the street from Cleveland Heights High School. So it's not like I grew up far from there, but I did not grow up in Cuyahoga Falls, Cuyahoga Heights, though Cuyahoga Heights beat the crap out of us every time we would play them in high school. Or Cleveland Heights. I grew up in Shaker Heights, home of Kid Cudi and uh, Machine Gun Kelly. What's the deal with all the heights here? There's no other place that I know of in the world where there's all these different heights. Like, what, what are the heights? What am I missing? Where are the heights? I have seen no heights since I've been here. I don't know Jerry Seinfeld. What do you mean, what's the deal? I don't, I don't know. I'm sorry. <laughs> I couldn't think of how else to say it. I don't know, man. All right. I don't know. I got, I got no well, good answer. This is not Cuyahoga Heights. This is Cuyahoga Falls. Yeah, there you go. You have, you okay. have to be on the heights before you can fall. But the falls are right outside the window. The falls are <laughs> oh. impressive. The Sheraton okay, Suites yeah. here at Cuyahoga Falls have co-opted the entire falls because it's a, it's a great view of, of Cuyahoga oh, Falls. Nice. They, really are, they really are impressive. I'm not being sarcastic. They really are impressive. All right. Uh, impressive display last night by... The Cleveland Browns. Your Cleveland Browns are one and zero, baby. Off they go. Here we go, Cleveland Browns. They are, they are ready to take over the NFL this year. Uh, and hey, I, who knows what to glean from the preseason? It's 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 not the same as what we're going to see in the regular season, but it's still it's football, and we get to see what guys look like when they're against other NFL caliber players and we're watching very carefully some of these young quarterbacks especially a young quarterback who had his career started now it's being interrupted will it work as he sits on the bench behind Aaron Rodgers I mean so far Zach Wilson seems to me Miles like he is perfectly content not just content but thrilled with this situation and most quarterbacks would not be happy with this idea that I was the guy and now I'm not 
and I'm being required to sit and watch someone else be the guy with the idea, this loose, vague idea that at some point down the road, I'll get a chance to be the guy again. Zach Wilson is in a spot. Chris Sims and I were talking about this yesterday. It is unprecedented. And he's handled it extremely well so far, and he handled himself well last night. He did handle himself well last night. I mean, aside from that one third down where he went into the spin cycle just like he used to and then, you know, was kind of tackled well short of the first down marker. I think part of why it's so unprecedented is because he was going to get replaced regardless. Right, So it's not like this is a guy who was going to continue starting like, say, Baker Mayfield, right, where you had last year the Browns, they go out, they get another quarterback to replace somebody who had already performed at a starting caliber level and appears to be, uh, I don't know, ostensibly kind of maybe a starter somewhere else, right? Zach Wilson was not going to be starting anywhere for any team at any time unless there was a catastrophic injury in 2023. So now he at least gets somewhat of a career reset with a team that already knows him and that he already knows, and that they, despite the fact that they went out and replaced him, have at least continued to speak decently highly of. So it's not a terrible situation for Zach Wilson to be in, but at the same time, it's not the ideal thing if you are a number two overall pick and you want to play. He's just not going to play for this year or next year, barring something terrible happening to Aaron Rodgers. And it was so bad that he was done there. After that Thursday night game against the Jaguars, Jay Glazer said on Fox, he did, three days later, they're done with him. And Glazer does not get things wrong. Nope. I assume Glazer was right, and they changed their minds at some point after that and decided to keep him around. But he was done. It was over. And you're right. He wasn't going to be a starter anywhere else. We started wondering, where's a good place for him to be a backup, like Kansas City? Yeah. Learn behind Patrick Mahomes for a while and, and then develop into someone who can get an opportunity somewhere else. So if this can work with this weird, clunky, was the starter – could be the starter again so be it so far so good and you're right he did have the rough moment last night although it looks like his foot slipped out from under him here's Zach Wilson reflecting on his opportunity to play something that likely won't happen during the regular season that's the goal you know putting everything behind me um learning uh, I guess being appreciative of it too uh is a big one and uh, a lot of fun just to get back on the field with the guys. Um, looking forward to the growth, you know, all the work that we've kind of done to try and get better over the offseason. And, you know, it's a lot of fun. This game's a lot of fun, and, and it's fun to kind of see where you can improve in areas. And um, it's fun. Great call by Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. He called that one? I had to give him a little shout out there. Uh, yeah, backed up, taking a shot down the field. Um, you know, kind of pick your matchup. Those guys were kind of just playing single, single safety man. And, you know, I think that's great for preseason ball. Three for five, 65 yards in three possessions. Had that long throw. He said Aaron Rodgers dialed it up. He still looks so young. Like, Dude, I was just going to say like that. He like a guy that is always going to look young. Like, when is he ever going to look old? He's going to be 70, and he's still going to look like he's 13. I mean, he's, I was going to say he looks like he's going into middle school with his backpack and his Jets hat on. I mean, is he Aaron Rodgers' son? I mean, he almost looks young enough to be my son. I'm still in my early 30s. What's going on here, man? Yeah, uh, I guess that long pass was good. I mean, kudos to Aaron Rodgers then, you know? 
if that's the case, that he dialed that thing up. And it was a good throw, you know, and it was a really good catch, too. Um, whenever you have to track a ball like that and you extend your arms and you're running, that's a tough thing to do to be able to catch a ball like that. So it was an impressive play. Now, I think that when you are Zach Wilson, you want to continue to show competence like that in the offense, even though you're not game planning, even though you're not scheming, just get the basics right. And as long as you can get the basics right, then I think you're kind of stacking those building blocks um, in the way that you want to when you are playing in the preseason like this. Yeah, I mean, the catch was impressive because it looks like there was a little issue tracking it. He slowed down. It's like, is that underthrown? Oh, no, wait, it's not underthrown. I got to go get it. And then he, he accelerated, reached out, made the catch, and made Zach Wilson look good. So limited action, one quarter from Zach Wilson, and check the box, getting it done. And now we'll talk a little bit about the Browns quarterbacks who played last night, just two of them, Kellen Mond and Dorian Thompson-Robinson, the entire game, Mond in the first half, Thompson Robinson in the second half. What was your takeaway on Mond, who was 13 for 19 for 92 yards, one touchdown, and one pick? Well, it seemed to me like the more he played, the worse he got, which is not necessarily a good thing, right? I mean, I thought early on when you're just kind of throwing screen passes, and boy, did they screen the Jets to death. And you had a couple swing passes out there to John Kelly. Like, that's fine, you know? And the touch on on the swing pass is not something that is all that easy. So I was kind of encouraged by some of the early things, and then he keeps playing, and then he throws this pick, right? And it was kind of like, well, he just didn't think that the linebacker was going to drop and flow into that route at all. And when something like that happens, that's why you throw it to that linebacker because you're thinking, oh, okay, this is guy on the second level. He's not going to carry this route with whatever he's doing. That's probably not something that he's thinking is going to happen. But, you know, he comes back. He throws that little touchdown pass to Kelly there at the end of the first half. And and that's good. But, yeah, I mean, I, if I'm Kellen Mond, I don't know if I'm all that happy with my performance based on especially that pick. But other things where you're just kind of like, mm, man, you know, for a guy who's been in the league for a couple years now, you, you expect a little bit better. Yeah, third-round pick of the Vikings in 2021 lasted a year there, has been in Cleveland for a while now, and yeah. there's just kind of a stiffness to the way he plays. There isn't yes. a fluidity, if that makes sense. It He yes, doesn't seem does. comfortable. It just doesn't – It like there's something that's just missing, and if he doesn't iron that out quickly, even with the opportunity for teams to dress three quarterbacks on game day, which will – presumably entice more of them to carry three on the 53-man roster because you have to have three on the 53-man roster. You can't dress that extra third player. It's going to be hard for him to hang around. Sims and I were talking yesterday about the possibility that Mond and Thompson Robinson could make them move on from Josh Dobbs. I don't think we even begin to see enough from Mond to make them decide to not keep Dobbs as the game-day emergency option for Deshaun Watson because I think that's what he'll be when the season begins and likely will continue to be all year in the event that something happens to Deshaun Watson, boom, in goes Josh Dobbs and the other guys are just developmental. It it looks like Mond is going to be the guy with the short straw based on what we've seen so far. Still three preseason games to go. A lot can happen. But based on last night, it wasn't a great, you know, this is your opportunity, Kellen Mond, to go out there and show that as you enter year three, you're stepping up to a new level. It. It, the step hasn't happened yet. 
No, it hasn't. And Mike, I, I think that you're absolutely right with the stiffness. That's what I was thinking last night when I was watching. And it's not like we've seen Kellen Mond play all that much, but you do kind of expect some sort of fluidity from your quarterback when he's going into his third year. You don't want that stiffness, that that, that, that stuff where you just can kind of tell that he's thinking, right? That he's not playing instinctually, that it's not necessarily coming all that naturally to him. And when he's been in this system for as long as he has, and it's been over a year now that he's been there, you just kind of, well, maybe about a year actually. It, 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 it's long enough, I think, that you should be able to figure this out. And it just ha- seems to be that he hasn't quite done that yet. And, you know, there are, like you said, three more preseason games for the Browns to see what they've got. But we got to remember, like Josh Dobbs came in and acquitted himself very, very well for the Titans on extremely short notice. So I think from that perspective, you know that Josh Dobbs can go out there and he won't necessarily lose a game for you. And now you're seeing if Thompson Robinson or Mon can come in and be the kind of chaos agent third QB that you need. And look, if it doesn't work for Mon, there's no shame in a tour of the XFL or the USFL. Those are viable opportunities now for young players to go get some reps, and maybe it works, and there's a path back to the NFL. If you're able to go to one of the lesser leagues and get that chance to have the game become comfortable, to lose that stiffness, to start to project an image of a guy who's going to go out there and take charge, not a guy who's just waiting for the next thing to happen that's going to cause him to think I'm getting closer to the inevitable end and I move on to whatever I do after football. Dorian Thompson, Robinson, fifth-round pick out of UCLA, a guy that Chris Sims really liked. He was number five on the Sims list of the incoming quarterbacks for 2023. He looked pretty good engineered the game-winning drive not that that really matters but in the microcosm of last night you go out there you're competing it does matter it gives you an opportunity to go out and prove that that you can achieve something and these are all guys by the end of the game that are scratching and clawing for roster spots so it's not like they're going through the motions they give a crap about this eight for 11 82 yards a touchdown 36 rushing yards miles you've mentioned a couple of times you'd like a chaos agent and it looks like dtr can be that guy Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like Chris Streveler, right? I mean, that's what we saw last year when he came in and played for the Jets. He just kind of runs around. He he does things with confidence. So if you're stepping up in the pocket and then you just figure, all right, I'm now, I see this. And like what he does right there, he steps up and then he fires it. And then on this play, he, you know, has a little pump fake. Then he runs, gets the first down, stays in bounds and continues down the sideline like that. I love to watch stuff like this. Then boom, he throws the block on the touchdown run, which, you know, if you're a quarterback, you don't really want to do those kinds of things. But if you watched DTR in college, which I did being out here in Los Angeles, it's the same kind of thing that he's always done. It's probably why he gets such respect from his teammates. I mean, this is a record-setting quarterback at UCLA, which is kind of because he was there for so long. But at the same time, he's got so much playing experience, and I think you can see that when he comes in and he plays like he does. Nothing seemed too big for him last night, and I, I don't think that's everything, right? Because, look, you're playing against, you know, third stringers, fourth stringers, whatever, but it's still a different level of football, right? He didn't look very confused by anything and he was able to play instinctually and when you have somebody like that who can come in and just do that that's the kind of chaos age i'm talking about as a third quarterback because look if you're playing a third quarterback 
in, in a game, you know, whether you game plan for it or not, something bad has happened and you're almost uh, screwed regardless, right? So at least have somebody who can come in and do things with confidence and maybe, you know, make the defense think twice about anything that they want to do. DTR looks like he can be that kind of guy. And I think that's at least very encouraging for the Cleveland Browns. And generally speaking, it is foolish for a quarterback to put himself in harm's way. But yes. when you do it and it works, that is how you win the respect of your of your peers. And that's how you begin to lay the foundation to get the locker room behind you. But if you're ever the starter somewhere, that is the dumbest thing that you can do because each one of those plays, each one of those moments is another opportunity to get yourself injured one way or the other. This whole third quarterback thing, Miles, I want to get your take on this because Sims and I were talking about this yesterday. Okay, let's say that, that to use your new favorite term, I didn't know the over-under on Chaos Agent for the first segment of the show was two and a half, yeah, and we've already hit the today. over. Cash your ticket yeah, if you bet was. the over on Chaos Agent. But, but here's a hypothetical for you. Deshaun mm-hmm. Watson gets injured. I, I apologize if I speak into the ether the possible jinx of Deshaun Watson getting injured. But let's say he gets injured in a game. Nothing serious, but but he's done for the day. Josh Dobbs comes in, and he just doesn't have it. He's not getting it done. It's not working. Oh, and he gets injured, but it's nothing serious, but it's enough that he has to go get checked out. Then in comes the chaos agent, and he starts ripping it up, and he's looking good, and he's throwing blocks, and he's throwing touchdowns, and the Browns are rallying, and Dobbs is maybe cleared to come back under this new rule. The moment Dobbs is cleared, he's got to come back and Mm -hmm. there's going to be a temptation there some way, somehow, as long as they have the third quarterback rule, the way it's currently constructed, where the third guy only comes in if the first two aren't available and must leave as soon as one of them is available again. And I think the NFL's attitude is that's uh, that's never going to happen. Guys, third quarterback for a reason. I think that's a little naive. Because there is a yeah. way. QB2 just doesn't have it today. QB3, they weren't ready for this guy. They don't know what to do with him. Hell no, we don't want to take him out. Yeah, I think that that's an extremely um, a realistic scenario. I, I think that that would absolutely happen. It's like, oh, man, he's got a little ankle, and all they need to do is tape it up again. Oh, somehow his ankle's still not yeah. right. Uh, I guess oh, the your, your ankle hurts, your ankle hurts when I do this? All right, I'll keep yeah. doing it. <laughs> Nah, Wait, does this hurt? Right. Uh, how about this? Does that hurt good? <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's, it's it, the coach is going to say up or down. He's down, right? Instead of, oh, this is just up or down. I mean, he's down still, right? It's, it's the question I think it becomes. So, yeah, I'm not – I mean, I don't think it's that naive to think that if one person is playing a better than another person, then that person who's playing better, they're going to try to find a way to keep that guy in there, especially a quarterback. Yeah, but I really do believe the assumption is, oh, no, we want our first or second string quarterback back in the game as soon as usually possible. That's, yeah. There's no way the third quarterback is going to play so well. And usually, yeah, when you're down to the third quarterback, you're screwed anyway. Exactly. They just want yeah. to have uh, – this is more for the game than it is for the teams. That's why it's going to be interesting to see how many teams will carry a third quarterback on the 53-man roster because at the end of the day, you're going to play the percentages. But, but – and see, this is this is where you have the enticement. Oh, you can dress another guy on game day. 
but you have to carry this guy on your 53-man roster. Some coaches are going to want to have the flexibility, the extra guy on the 53-man roster. Some are going to say, oh, I get to dress a third guy. Why, why wouldn't I want to dress a third guy? It's just the way they constructed this third quarterback rule is weird. The whole idea is you want to have another quarterback available so you don't have a running back or a receiver or a tight end playing quarterback in a big spot, prime time, or playoff game. So they've added these 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 things to it that maybe make it less attractive. I, I don't know how it's going to go, but I do believe there will be a situation, as long as this rule is in place, where there will be a Bill Belichick or some other coach that is like, I don't want my one of my first two guys coming back today. I want to ride this guy, and he's not going to be able to unless he comes up with some way to – to fudge reality a little bit and keep an injured guy injured long enough to, you know, carry you through to the end of the game. Well, I mean, how are you going to prove that? I mean, the, the, I mean, I can hear the post-game press conference. Oh, you kept blob. You kept your third quarterback in today was uh, number two, just unable to keep going. Yeah. He just wasn't able to go. So we had to keep our third guy in there. I mean, like that's, that's all you have to say. Right. Oh. I mean, in, I know, I know, I know, and they—I think they were going to have some sort of independence involved in this, some sort of oversight. But what can you really do okay. when you're in the moment and the game's unfolding one snap at a time, one drive at a time? I think it just becomes something that is difficult to enforce, and it's just a new dynamic yes. that you've never seen before. Hey, coach, no, this guy's healthy; he must go back into the game. You must remove that. It just to create a rule like that introduces awkwardness that we just don't need and we just don't want, and. And it could happen at some point. And from our perspective, as folks who cover the game, you know, awkward, different, unusual. That's what attracts attention. And those are interesting things we can sink our teeth into. We'll see if it happens. All right. Interesting issues with running backs and some information I harvested last night in anticipation of the pregame show. We'll run through it here. Let's start with Dalvin Cook. My understanding, the Jets remain very viable contenders to sign Cook, Miles, and with the Jets now having eight days until their next preseason game, a window opens for talks to commence. I don't get the impression there have been any serious talks yet, but now the expectation is there's a window for the Jets to explore adding Dalvin Cook. And you know they like him. He likes them. Aaron Rodgers wants him. He wants to be there. Aaron Rodgers' cap number was going to be under his contract as it was originally constructed when they were going to trade for him, $15.5 million or so. Now it's 8.8. There's all the cap space you need to just go out and get Dalvin Cook if you want him. So, you know, we're going to find out soon enough. And I, I get the impression Cook will be signed by someone before week one that he's not just going to sit and wait and wait and collect the Vikings $2 million. That's what he can make this year if he doesn't play at all or even start collecting those checks. He's, he's I believe, going to be somewhere before week one, and right now the Jets are the leading candidates. The Jets make a lot of sense just based on what we know about what those that team's aspirations are. Right, and the fact that you still got Brees Hall coming back from that very serious knee injury. And when we talked to Peter King last week, I mean, he told us that at that point, Brees Hall is only running forward and back. You know, he's not running laterally, side to side, not making those cuts that are essential to make when you're a running back. And again, there's still time before the regular season for that to happen. But when you have somebody who is a healthy veteran running back, 
who runs for a thousand yards every year for the last four years, it seems to me like if you really want to get off to a good start this season and the Jets have to get off to a good start this season because they run through a gauntlet of teams throughout the entire 18 weeks of the season, except for their bye, right? Then you want somebody like a Dalvin Cook who can come in there and be at his best right away. And I think the way to ensure that would to be to sign him as soon as possible. So Mike, Mike, I'll ask you this too. What do you think that a Dalvin Cook contract might look like? Somebody asked me that yesterday. And my first gut reaction was $5.5 million base, 500000 in per-game roster bonuses where divide that by 17, you get a check for every game that you're on the game day roster. So that gets you to $6 million. And a lot of times that 500000 just gets presumed it's part of the base package, even though you have to earn it by being available one week at a time. So that's six. A million dollars in very, very easily fall off a log incentive. That's what they used to call it years ago, the falling off the log incentive, that anybody can do it uh-huh. to get the first million. Second million, a little bit more. And then a third million that would be like a superstar package, like the 909000 that Saquon Barkley can earn this year. 1,300 rushing yards, 10 touchdowns, 60 catches, something like that, playoffs, to get that last million bucks so he can get up to nine million that was my my kind of visceral when I was asked yesterday what would a good contract look like for Dalvin Cook that's that was just the first thing that came to mind now maybe he'll do a little bit better than that and if he does more power to him but to me that feels like it's in line with the current market yeah I think that that would make a lot of sense I mean it wouldn't get him to that kind of 10.1 million dollar franchise tag number but I think that you know when you get cut and you're a free agent and you're out there that's kind of just the way that things would shake out and and I think it does make sense to me Um, and look I mean that would put him in there at uh, seventh among running backs you know if you were able to get all of those things if you have a five million dollar base salary though that would put him under 10th and under miles sanders but that's just kind of where we're at right now with running backs and the contracts and yeah i mean dalvin cook has done what he's done and it's not like he's shown you know really big signs of slowing down but when you're a free agent and it's this time of year sometimes you just kind of got to take what you can get yeah i mean miles sanders got what he got first day of free agency with all teams in a position that they could pursue him and sign him. That was the market. That was the moment that Sims and I said on this program, hey, Tony Pollard, probably a good idea to take the $10.1 the Cowboys are offering. Because once they they see which way the wind's blown on this running back market, they're going to yank that 10-1, and you're going to be in a position coming off of a broken ankle where you have to go find 10-1 elsewhere, and you're not going to do it. So he signed that thing right away. Smartest move of the offseason by anyone, team, player, coach, yes. whoever, getting that 10-1 because that 10 would not be there today. It would have been gone long before Correct. today because that's just where the market was. So if 6-4 is the best Miles Sanders can do in March, 5-5 five, five, with another 500000 if you're able to suit up with another million for simplicity, easy incentives, another on top of that for a, you know, a good mid-level year and then that final million – that I think that's the best he can hope for. And again, if he does better than that, bravo, Dalvin Cook, because this is a tough market now for the position that he plays. Other teams still interested, I'm told, per sources. The Jets, obviously, I already mentioned the Jets. The Dolphins, 
I'm running through the list in my brain here. The Patriots and the Broncos. The Broncos are still very interested. Now, I don't think the Broncos would want to pay him very much, but you know how Sean Payton likes to have that three-headed monster if he can pull it off. He's got Javante Williams healthy, not on the pup list, practicing. He's got Samaje Piran. I think he'd like to add Dalvin Cook to the mix as well if he could. And I know Russell Wilson has been pushing for a long time to try to get Dalvin Cook to join him in Denver. And that's part of the balance too, Miles. When you're talking about the right contract for Dalvin Cook, if I'm just going to be a part of a committee – and it's not going to contribute dramatically to my career mileage. If my odometer is not going to get all jacked up this year and I'm going to be in a position where I can even go beyond, you know, three, four more years, I'll I'll take less because you're not going to use me much. That's fine with me. I'll happily be part of a committee approach. That's one of his options, and Denver could get that to him if he chose to do that. Make less, play longer. That's the one good thing about the current approach to running backs. You, you potentially can avoid having your career burn out quickly if you find yourself on one of those teams that uses a bunch of different guys. Right. If, if you're not the bell cow back, as you know, the saying goes, then you're not getting as many carries, you're not taking as many hits, and that can elongate your career. I think that would be an interesting option for him to go to Denver. And look, I mean, Denver has a lot of issues on offense that they needed to sort out after last year. But now if you have somebody in Sean Payton, who we know can scheme offense well, and we know did a great job of utilizing guys like Mark Ingram and Alvin Kamara at the same time, you know, you go back further, it's Darren Sproles and all those other guys. You know, you you see how those things can develop, and you know that at least if you're going there, as opposed to somebody with maybe a less experienced coaching staff, then at least there you're going to be in a good position to make plays as a running back. So I think that would be an interesting kind of three-headed combination with Williams, with Pirine, and then with Dalvin Cook. But, I mean, the Dolphins as an option – as somebody who is from South Florida, like Dalvin Cook is, and that would still be pretty darn intriguing to me. And if you get to be coached by a guy like Mike McDaniel, who has talked about wanting to run the ball more and more effectively, now they don't necessarily need Dalvin Cook to do that. Mike McDaniel's a good run schemer. He was the run game coordinator for years in San Francisco. Like It's not like they really need a guy like Dalvin Cook, but man, I think they could have a Dalvin Cook that might be able to take that offense just to that next level. And in the competitive AFC and the competitive AFC East, any edge you get, that's that's not bad. And it prevents them from going to the Jets, too. I think the Dolphins have a number, and they're not moving from it. Mm-hmm. And they're being very disciplined and re- very restrained. And they don't want to get caught up in this, this frenzy. Oh, we got to get him. And then you drive up the price and then the Jets start driving up the price. And then it's like you're at the auction and they're holding up the paddles. And it's great for the player, but it's bad for the teams. And when you have the Patriots in the mix as well, yeah, you could, you could, you could potentially get a lot more than you were going to get. But it seems like everyone is very restrained and everyone is very patient. And they know that at some point he's going to go somewhere. Right now I would say the Jets, but that could be the thing that wakes up one of these other teams. Josh Jacobs and the Raiders, a very different situation. Josh Jacobs, franchise tag, not yet accepted, $10.1 million. 
My understanding there is, despite any reporting suggesting there was progress, there were discussions that were fruitful, they were close, they were whatever, and I know that this has been reported to some degree by Vic Tafer of The Athletic, nothing has gone on between the Raiders and Josh Jacobs. Nothing. Dating back to before they even franchise tagged him. They were always going to franchise tag him. They weren't going to sign him to a long-term deal before applying the tag. Then once the tag was applied, crickets. No effort to negotiate a long-term deal. And then when there finally was an effort, Miles, to negotiate a long-term deal, the caveat, I'm told, per sources, was along the lines of, well, we need to make you an offer so so you can never say we didn't make you an offer. So it was never really an honest effort to try to get the guy signed there was an element of pr to it right we we can't just ride out your franchise tag we have to at least create the impression we tried to sign you to a multi-year deal the offer was never even close to being acceptable yes he was sitting out in the parking lot but that was just in the eventuality that they would be in a position to get a deal done he could run in and sign it and it would be over at that point There was never any serious negotiation. So here we are. Here we are. And what was leaked earlier this week, I believe, by the Raiders, this idea that they're open to resuming talks and that kind of vague hint that maybe they would do something like what the Giants did with Saquon Barkley, where you come in for the 10.1 and you can make more on top of it in incentives. If they are willing to, there's been no effort to actually do it in the days since that report surfaced. There is nothing going on right now between the Raiders and and Josh Jacobs, and he continues not being in camp, and there's no financial consequence because he's not under contract. He's no more employed right now by the Raiders, Miles, than you or I are. Well, that's interesting uh, way to put it like that, I guess. But, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really understand what the end game is for the Raiders. I mean, if you just want them for a one-year deal, if that just seems to be what they want, then okay. But, I mean, you, what you said basically is they made him an offer he had to refuse. Because otherwise it would have been ridiculous for him to sign a contract like that. So, I mean, at this point, why come in and work during training camp in, you know, a hundred plus degree heat like it is out there in Las Vegas every day if you don't really have to. He can stay in shape on his own. He knows the playbook already. It's not like it's changing all that much. And he can come in and he can sign in, let's call it the week before the season starts, get himself into his best playing shape as he possibly can, and then he can collect his game checks that would add up to $10.1 million. I, I understand that approach there. But if you're the Raiders and it's like, you, know, you, you say publicly that you want something and then privately your actions are telling an entirely different story. It's like, well, if at one point, you know, I mean, we can put this out there. Is there a point where you just say, "Mm, let's just go with Zamir White, you know, let's go with the backs that we've got. And maybe we just rescind the tag because I mean, we really want Josh Jacobs here for the long term. Our actions have said, no, we do not. So why are we going to pay this guy $10.1 million when if you look at our division, eh, man, it's going to be tough for us to be really all that competitive. And how much better is Zamir White, uh, excuse me, is Josh Jacobs than Zamir White and the rest of the backs that we've got? I mean, that's the kind of thing that maybe you talk yourself into if you're the Las Vegas Raiders over the course of this month. I don't know that that's going to happen, but it's not out of the realm of possibility to me. Well, and that's a reflection of the, running back market at large 
the surplus mm-hmm. value, is it there? Is the $10.1 million in value there with Josh Jacobs, dollar for dollar, between what he brings to the table and what Samir White could do? And at some point, you say, we're just going to save the $10.1 million and we're going to move on. And, Miles, that very well may have been the Belichickian strategic 4D chess endgame all along. They had to tag him because he had a big year last year. They had to. Josh McDaniels knows we can't just let this guy walk away in free agency. He was the leading rusher, the first ever winner of the Jim Brown Award. We didn't expect it. We came in thinking, hey, we're not picking up the fifth-year option. We're, we're not interested in extending this. I, I think that what he was told was, well, we need to get to know him. And, of course, they didn't need to get to know Devontae Adams before they gave him a big pile of money. They didn't need to, need to get to know Derek Carr before they gave him a new contract. And once they got to know him, they ripped it up. But, right. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's, it's baloney. It's baloney. Yeah, get Mac, they don't, we don't know Max Crosby. We give him a huge Mike, contract. Mike, this is we the position. Did this show, and, and, we did this show a year ago, and we were talking about Josh Jacobs playing in the Hall of Fame game because it was like, whoa, what is this? You don't play a guy who you really think is going to be a major contributor in the Hall of Fame game. So that tells us exactly what the Raiders thought of Josh Jacobs at that point. And then he forced their hand. He earned the, the placement of a C on his jersey. He led the league in rushing. He was one of the few bright spots the team had. So what are you going to do? You're going to let him walk away? We can't let him walk away. Well, it's time to a long-term deal like the Buccaneers had to do when they didn't pick up the fifth-year option on the muscle hamster, Doug, Ham- uh, Doug Martin. Remember him? They didn't yes. pick up the fifth-year option. He had a big year, and he got a big contract instead of the franchise tag. No, we don't want to do that either. That doesn't make sense financially. So, you know, when you're going to tag somebody, if you want to turn it into a long-term deal, it's very simple. This year's tag and next year's tag, fully guaranteed it's signing, and then you throw some stuff onto the back end so the team can control the, the situation for year three, year four, maybe year five. They weren't even remotely close to that. So why would he do a long-term deal? You want to pay me year to year? Fine. I'll, I'll eventually, if he shows up, take the 10-1, and then you tag me next year. And I'll get a 20% raise, $12 million or so. And then after that, you become a free agent. But that's the problem. What do you have left after six years? What right. is still in the tank? Who is going to pay you after you have played six years? And that's where we've heard so many running backs say this now. They use that against you. Oh, you've had a great career. Well, you're kind of banged up. You're kind of old by running back standards. We'll just go draft somebody in round four and pay him a hell of a lot less than what you're looking for and take our chances that way. So I think that's what the Raiders want to do. They want to go year to year. The question is, will Jacob show up? I think if they would offer, I don't know this, I think if they would offer him a promise they wouldn't use the tag next year, he would show up. And maybe they'd want to put some performance triggers in there to do it. That's what the Bears did with Lance Briggs years ago. That's what the Titans did with Albert Hainsworth once upon a time. Hasn't happened in a while. Put some triggers in there where they'd say, we'll remove the tag. That would be a way to do it if they really want to keep him around. Look, Miles, I think, and and I've mentioned it's a PR thing. You know, it's a fan thing. You don't want the fans to be upset. They got a fan that owns the team. And I think part of what they're doing here is they're working Mark Davis. They got to get Mark Davis to come to the point where he realizes – we can move on, and we should move on without Josh Jacobs. So we get to the end of training camp. Hey, the guy hasn't been here. The guy's not ready for the season. We get through the preseason. Hey, the guy's not been here. The guy's not ready for the season. 
he's just going to show up and take 10.1. How good's he going to be? He's upset with this. He's, you know, he may not, he may not play very hard. He may not play through some of the bumps and bruises of being a running back in the NFL. And then Mark Davis comes to the conclusion on his own. Well, maybe we should rescind the tender. When all along, that's what Dave Ziegler and Josh McDaniels were hoping for. If I had to guess, I know it's an aggressive move. It hasn't happened often three times in the last 20 years. I think they removed the tender not long before the start of the season unless Josh Jacobs pounces on it first. That's the, that's the you know, everybody's kind of sitting back and waiting. Is he going to jump on it or are they going to remove it? And I think if they remove it, he knows he's not getting 10-1 elsewhere and he doesn't care. And I think if they remove it, he goes straight to Kansas City. And wouldn't that be something? <laughs> you get another Marcus Allen, right? Your running back falls out of favor and you go straight to Kansas City. Yeah, that would be interesting, you know, if he did do that. And then, I mean, he, he would have to take probably less money. But, man, you talk about, you know, three-headed monsters. That'd be fine. Josh Jacobs yep. with Isaiah Pacheco and then also uh, Jarek McKinnon in that backfield with Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, that's that's a pretty uh, scary prospect maybe for the rest of the league if you get something like that. But yeah, I mean, I, I can certainly see that scenario happening, Mike, because it just seems to me, like based on when you mentioned Vic Tafer's reporting earlier, now what you're saying, I mean, it's just kind of whatever they had to do, they felt like they had to extend that tag to Josh Jacobs, where in a perfect world for Josh McDaniels and Dave Ziggler, they wouldn't have done that at all. Because it doesn't, their actions, like I said, have made it seem like they don't really think that Josh Jacobs is a part of their long-term future. Or you can go back to when they didn't pick up the fifth-year option. That's one thing. That's one thing that you've reported, Mike, that he is not happy about. The fact that if they had just picked that up, he would have had $8 million for this year already, and we wouldn't be in this situation. And then they give him the tag, and then they don't really negotiate. And so you're at this point where either Josh Jacobs is going to pounce on that 10.1, as you just said, or maybe it goes away. And if it goes away, that kind of sucks. Right? I mean, I don't know. I, I Maybe it's just you're principled and you take a stand and that's just what you're willing to do. And if that's the case, good for him. Go bet on yourself and then we'll see what happens um, when you, if you, you, know, you go into free agency next year or if you go into free agency in August or whatever it happens to be. But that's just, it's not an ideal place for any player, especially your running back who was the league leader in rushing last year. It, yeah, it's, it's just an odd situation. The irony, if the word is being used here properly, and again, I never Let's know if it honest. is, is that if he would go to the Chiefs, he would land with Andy Reid. And Andy Reid is the coach who has rescinded the tag twice before. Jeremiah Trotter, 2002, in June. He went to Washington and got a big contract. And then they did it to Corey Simon defensive tackle in September. And he landed with the Colts, and it was a disaster, and he was never heard from again. So Josh Jacobs, welcome to Kansas City. And he knows he won't get 10-1, but it is a matter of principle at this point. He's pissed off about how everything's gone. And I really do think Mark Davis is the audience of one in all of this, that they are hoping comes to the conclusion on his own but as he's nudged there by circumstance, that the right move is to rescind the tender and part ways with one of the most important players on the team. And really, with or without him, are they really going to contend this year in the AFC West? I think that's a stretch. It's all they can do to just stay afloat in that division and in that conference. You know, yeah. the Texans are the one team that you look at and say it's going to be rough. 
the next team after the Texans, the Raiders. It's going to be rough in that in that division and in that conference this year. All right. Yeah. Also in that conference, a team that used to be very dominant, used to be among the elite, trying to get back there, hopeful that Anthony Richardson will get it done as a rookie quarterback. What's up with the Colts and Jonathan Taylor? My understanding is that they're just hoping that things calm down and they stay calm. And it has. We're at day four now with no eruptions, no explosions, no missiles fired by Jim Ursay in the direction of Jonathan Taylor, no need for Taylor or his agent to respond. Calm it down, relax, let him get healthy, and hope that he'll realize. And, and that's, this, is, this is inherent to the position. You're in checkmate. There's nothing you can do. You're not happy that you're only getting $4.3 million this year. You deserve more. You can't do anything to force it. You showed up. You didn't hold out. You're, you're, you're strapped into the roller coaster. You may as well enjoy the ride and do the best you can. And if after this year they franchise tag you, so be it. You're in checkmate. You're, you're going to get $10, $11 million. And if they tag you again the next year, you get 20% raise over that. The Colts want to keep him around. They want him on the team long term. But what is long-term for a running back? Long-term yeah. could be this year, next year, the year after. See you later. We'll go draft your replacement. Oh, and by the way, we can't afford to pay you big money now because Anthony Richardson's the centerpiece of the offense. Look at what he's become thanks to having Jonathan Taylor to attract so much attention to allow him to develop his game and have everything slow down. And now he's a superstar. We don't need Jonathan Taylor anymore. That could be the way it plays out. Certainly. I mean, I think you just asked the most important question. If you're a running back and somebody says that they want to keep you around long term, well, then what does that mean? Is that three years? Is that four years? Is it realistic to even think that it could be four years based on the way the running back position is and the amount of hits that you take? And if you're Jonathan Taylor and you look at that 2021 season where he was dominant, where he really was the best running back in the league, led the league in rushing. I mean, he was doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And then the Colts had that big, big collapse at the end of the season, losing to the Raiders and Jaguars. Then you think, okay, well, if I can reach that level of production, that means I'm an elite player, right? Now, last year dealt with the ankle injury and then kind of played with it and then didn't play. And now that affects the numbers. And it's like, oh, well, you weren't really an elite player last year. So, well, that's where we are. It's not a good situation for Jonathan Taylor to be in because it's like he has to go out and kind of prove himself once again, which is not necessarily fair, but it's the kind of nature of that position right now. So I understand Jonathan Taylor's frustration, and especially when you've got the owner of the team kind of mouthing off every time something seems to happen, you know, then you get the reports that something's wrong. You said something's wrong with your back and you say you never said that. It got really publicly ugly very quickly. And when something like that happens, yeah, you, you kind of got to let the waters calm down and let things blow over until you can start to engage again. But if the Colts want them around, then their actions need to start saying that more than their words do, I think. And this is where you have the disconnect between we love the player, the player's great, he's a key piece of the team, and, oh, wait, this running back market and the way that the franchise tag works. You know, if they would say, okay, let's give him a contract right now. Mm -hmm. And if they would 
if they would be willing to do it, like what would be the formula? What would be the basis? What would be the, the well, look, we can keep him this year at 4-3. Let's say the tag goes to 11-5 next year. Okay, we would do 11-5 and then we would do a 20% raise over it. I did the math. It's $29.6 million that it'll make over the next three years if they go year to year. If they would do a long-term deal, what would they do? Guarantee him $29.6 million now? Would he take that? If you put that in front of him, would he take that? He should. I don't know. You know, Sims has thrown out the idea that for some of these running backs, when they realize that they're backed into a corner, if you just put something out there that gives them the security and the protection against injury, if you, if you can guarantee Jonathan Taylor right now that he'll make what he would make under the next three years if they would tag him in 24 and 25 in addition to what he's due to make this year, maybe he wouldn't say no to that because that's what they can do anyway. That's the problem. Right. What's his alternative? He can't force his way out. He cannot play, but then you don't get paid. This is the, the point that, that came up a few times this week, Miles, and this is what I don't like about the sport and about the attitude that the teams have toward the players. They use their love of the game against them. They use the mm-hmm. fact that they want to play and compete against them because at the end of the day, there's only one way Jonathan Taylor is going to be an NFL running back, and that's with the Indianapolis Colts. Yes, and that's exactly. It. You, and you, so you, – yeah, make your 4-3 you this year. Yeah. Right. Make your 4-3 this year. Make your 11 next year. Make a 20% raise the next year. Or maybe we'll give you all of it now if they'd even be willing to do that. So he's in a tough spot. And I think that the hope is Jim Irsay, take his phone away, let it calm down, and Jonathan Taylor realizes on his own. Just like they want Mark Davis to realize they don't need Josh Jacobs, I think the Colts want Jonathan Taylor to realize he's got nothing else that he can do at this point other than – play for the Colts, and make the best of a situation that you may not consider ideal. Well, even if you don't guarantee all of that money, right? I mean, you're talking about you know something that's a few years down the road, but if you make it guarantees, you know, you're talking about 29 million. What if it's 24 to 25 million that you guarantee and you just kind of lop off a little at the end? Is that something that's attractive because you're guaranteeing it for yourself now, whereas you're not going year to year, right? Because at that at this point, that's what it's going to be. It would be year to year for Jonathan Taylor, and maybe you get yourself a little bit of a guarantee now that you would not necessarily have if something were to go wrong this year or next year. I don't know if that would be attractive or not, and I don't even know if the Colts would want to do that or not, but that's maybe something where it's a starting point, but it shouldn't be a starting point because – you know, like you said, if you look at this year plus next year's tag and then the tag after that, that would ostensibly be the starting point. But if you say, well, we'll give you this now and we'll guarantee you it now, it's kind of what they do with baseball contracts where you avoid the arbitration years. You know, you're saying, well, we're going to give you a little bit more security now so that if something happens, you know, and your performance falls off, then we're not necessarily going to be in the spot where you are saying, well, I deserve X amount of money and we're saying this, and then they, the court might side with us. It's, it's one of those things that's a little bit uncomfortable, but I think that maybe that's where they could go, where it's something that they could get uh, Jonathan Taylor to agree to and maybe have him feel a little bit better about things going into the season. Let's take a break. When we return, the NFL has made changes to the personal conduct policy. I have gotten the new policy. I have compared it to the old policy, and we will break down some of the big differences between one of the most important documents the NFL has on the books. We'll do that next here on this Friday edition of PFT Live. 